So we're in the midst of our Exodus series, and as we, we started last week, we're going to do these moments within this series and moving forward as a church where we just talk about the stories that God has done in our midst, in the midst of Gateway, the Gateway God stories where God shows up in the lives of our family. And when we hear God's story in the midst of our family, it encourages us and strengthens us to go forward and live out the story that God's called for our own lives. So today we're going to hear an amazing story from an amazing woman. Can you all give it up, Gateway style, for Danica Fuimano? Good morning. Hello. Hi. Good morning, guys. Um, I'm super humbled to be asked to be here today, and some of you guys know me as a principal, um, but that is not why I'm speaking today. Um, Part of what I'm speaking about today is a time when God called me to take action, and it was about... Six years ago, sitting actually back in the bleachers, which is where I usually hang out, um, Matt Marble was up here because he had been called to speak about some different things and had mentioned human trafficking amongst what he was speaking about. And I remember it punching me in the gut, like the absolute gut, like I felt sick to my stomach, was ready to go take care of some business. Um, and I sat in that for an entire year um, because by nature, I'm kind of a natural fighter. That's just kind of how I'm equipped and how I'm wired is to fight for the vulnerable. I've always been that way. Um, the enemy used to use it in a very different way than how God uses it now. Um, but I just, I sat in it for a year and I talked to my friends and family and my family kept saying, oh, they call me Dana. Oh, Dana, you're always wanting to go fight the battles. You're always wanting to go save the world. This isn't your fight. This isn't your fight. And it just didn't go away. You know, I didn't, it just didn't go away. And I saw it some counsel from one of my best friends, and she's like, you know what, you just need to pray about it. You need to pray about it out loud on your knees. And to someone who doesn't know you're even fighting this battle, that doesn't know that God's prompted you in this way, and let it be confirmed that way. So that night, I prayed out loud on my knees. God, just, if this is what you want me to do, let me know. And in his boldness, the very next day, (laughs) I'm sitting at enrollment at the freshman center, And my sister calls me, who's about 13 years my junior. And she calls me because she's a fairly emotional creature, God lover. And um, we're talking through one of her moments, as I call them. And a lady that I work with was sitting next to me. Nobody else was in the room. And it wasn't that personal. Otherwise, I would have got up and left. But we were just sitting there talking through it. And I got off the phone. And she goes, hey, Fooey, I feel like I'm supposed to tell you something. And I'm like sure, what's up? She goes, well, I shouldn't have been listening. And I said, well, if I wanted to leave, I would have left. Like, it's fine. And she goes, well, I feel like I'm supposed to tell you that you're supposed to do something bigger. You're supposed to really fight for people the way you talk to people. And I'm just sitting there going, that was awful quick. (laughs) Um, And she goes, and you're supposed to go do this. You're supposed to go fight for people bigger. And I told her, I said, you know what? I said, ironically enough, I prayed last night that this is what's on my heart, this calling to fight human trafficking. And I asked God to confirm it out loud for me. She goes, well, then I, I said what I should have said then. I said, yes, you said exactly what you should have said. And I was like, game on. Like, I'm one of those, he says, yes, let's go, type A, drive through, bust through walls type person. And God pumped the brakes. He said, whoa, whoa, whoa now. I know that you can do this, but I want you to follow me. He had two paths that I had in front of me. I had one where I was going to have to slow down and be led by him and be his helper, or one where I was going to take control of it and mark it off my list because I am so type A. And I had counsel say, have you ever thought that maybe you're supposed to slow down on this one? 
So I, 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 stay, I step back, and I truly let God take the lead on it. And I followed, and I fought, and I've stepped out and been given an opportunity with many people to speak to now thousands of people about human trafficking, about how to stop it, about what it is, about how it exists, about what you can look out for, about all of those things. And it is not comfortable to have that conversation. But God didn't call us to be comfortable. I'm pretty sure Friday, some years ago, he wasn't very comfortable either. And so when I'm out there having those conversations, I know that he equipped me in that moment. He set me aside for that moment. He set me aside to have those uncomfortable conversations, to fight that battle. And it's not that I've had some personal experience with human trafficking, because I haven't. He called me because I have a personal relationship with him. He called me because he knew that I would say yes. He called me because he knew that there was a fight to be fought, and he wanted somebody to do it. And I want to, when I arrive at heaven, be able to look at him and say that I had the courage to do it. And for him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I want you to know that when he asks you to fight those fights, he doesn't like you fight one fight and checklist off and you've, you've, done, your, you've done your battle. That's not how that works. Because right now I'm in the middle of yet again another challenge he's put in front of me where people are saying, that's uncomfortable. Why are you doing that? Are you sure that you're supposed to do that? And I continue to look at him and say, yes, I am. I'm supposed to step in this. I'm not supposed to look like everybody else or what looks easy or what looks like it's supposed to be that way or what everybody assumes my path is to be. I'm purposed for a reason. I'm purposed to walk out the way God asked me to walk out, and it's not supposed to look like everybody else. And in the path of doing all that I have been able to do with Restore the Light, I've been able to meet survivors, and I've been able to step step in and intervene in behalf of stopping other people to get lured into it. What a powerful gift, and I can sit there and just see God all over it and be truly humbled every moment that he allowed me to be a part of it. Little me, little girl who was at risk and dad took off on, who everybody else rejected, he selected me for purpose. And I'm grateful every day that he sees me, and I'm able to fight alongside him. Thank you. Thank you, Danica. As we uh, continue our Exodus series, uh, Danica's story today fits in tight. I don't know if you've got your bulletin in front of you, and and the the title for the sermon is God is Ready to Fight. God is Ready to Fight. And Danica hears from God, hey, there is human trafficking happening in the world around us, and we need to be aware of it, and we need to fight on their behalf. And so Danica said yes to that. And today we're going to see how God fights on our behalf and what he's calling us to do in the midst of that. So we're in our third week of our Exodus series. Week one, we kind of walked through what are some of the themes of God, what are some of the themes of God that we're going to see in the book of Exodus as we move through it. And we kind of got to the point where um, we got to the first episode in the, in the, the book of Exodus. Right, So the first week was kind of a previously on Exodus. Here's what comes up, right? So previously on, Abraham heard the promise of God that he's going to build a great nation through Abraham's family. And that he's going to give them a promised land. And that he's going to bless every family through him. So God makes some pretty significant promises to Abraham. And one of the themes of God in the midst of all of this book of Exodus is that God keeps his promises. 
And we're going to see him do that today again. God keeps his promises. The second theme of God that we talked about that first week is that God fights on behalf of his children. And here today, God is ready to fight. And the third promise was that God wants to have a relationship with us. And we're going to talk about that today too. So Abraham gets these promises from God. And then God fulfills them. God, God makes the nation of Israel through Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob, and then his 12 sons become the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel grows from 70 people. And in 430 years, they become 2.4 million people. The problem is, is they're now enslaved in Egypt. They're no longer living in the promised land. They're enslaved in Egypt. And that's where Exodus chapter 1 picks up. And Scott last week walked us through the origin stories of Moses, right? The beginning stories of who Moses is and what his life started out like, what the foundations of his life were. His mother placing him in a basket so that he wouldn't be killed by Pharaoh and sent down a river and Pharaoh's daughter picking him up, having mercy on him and taking him in to be her own son and growing up in Pharaoh's household, but also knowing full well that he didn't belong there, that he was an Israelite, that he was Hebrew, that he belonged to the people of God. And 40 years go by, and Moses is living in this conflict, in this, in this awkwardness. And he's walking through the Israelite camp one day, and he sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating an Egyptian, or beating an Israelite. And Moses has compassion on the Israelite because he is Hebrew. He is an Israelite. And he has compassion and he has anger. And so he attacks this taskmaster and kills him. And buries him in the sand, tries to hide it. But it doesn't work. Pharaoh finds out what Moses did. And Moses flees so that he's not killed himself. And he leaves Egypt at age 40. He comes to a land known as Midian. And in this land, he meets a woman named Zipporah. And they have a child named Gershom. And they're a family. And he's living out in this land, keeping watch over flocks of sheep. This is now his life. And 40 more years go by. 40 more years go by. So Moses is now 80. And we're only in chapter 2 of Exodus, right, of 40 chapters. Moses is 80. And so that's where we're going to pick up our story today, the, the very tail end of chapter 2, verse 23 in chapter 2. Open your Bibles, Exodus 2, verse 22, 23, and it says this, during those many days, those many days, the king of Egypt, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. During those 40 years, the, the king of Egypt dies, a new pharaoh is put in place, and the people of Israel groan before God because of their slavery. They cry out to God because they are enslaved. They seek God for help. 
And their cry for rescue came up to God. And God heard them. And God understood what they were going through. And he remembered his promises that he made Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will make you a great nation. I will give you a promised land. The entire world will be blessed through you. In scripture, when we hear the phrase, and God remembered, it's not like God forgot. And then all of a sudden the memory comes into to his mind. It's not that God forgot, it's that God is now gonna take action. I remember you, Israel. I haven't forgotten you. And now I'm gonna move, is what's happening here. So the first thing we need to get our minds wrapped around is that God understands the Israelites' situation. He has full knowledge of what's going on, and he hears them. And we can reflect that back to ourselves. God understands our own personal situations, whatever might be going on in our lives, that we think, God doesn't hear me. He does. He understands your situation. He understands what's going on in our lives. And he remembers his promises that he made for us. He's about to take action. So then jump forward to Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses, he was keeping flock of his father-in-law Jethro, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why is the bush not burning? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And then he said, do not come near, take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So Moses, now 80, keeping watch over his father-in-law's sheep, hanging out, takes them kind of out of the place where he normally is into a new area, and he's there, and he sees this bush that seems to be on fire, but it is not burning up. It's just on fire. It's not being consumed. There's nothing happening to this bush. The leaves aren't disappearing. The branches aren't falling off. It's just engulfed in flame. And I don't know if you would be intrigued by that, but I probably would be. And so Moses turns towards it, and as he heads towards this bush, God calls to him, Moses, Moses, prepare yourself, take off your sandals, because something cool is about to happen, right? I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses comes face to face with the almighty God. After being a murderer, after fleeing Egypt, after being raised in a household that didn't do what God asked them to do, being raised in a household that enslaved the people of God, Moses now comes face to face with this God. And and God says, I'm the God of your father, Moses. 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm your God too. Verse 7, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of the taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. God says, Moses, I've heard my people's cry, and I'm going to do something about it. I've heard my people's cry, and I'm going to do something about it. So God understands the situation that they're in, and God is ready to fight. God is ready to fight. You see, I think a lot of times we sit back and we think that God isn't ready to intervene in our lives, but God is standing there ready to go. God is ready to fight on behalf of the Israelites. He declares his intentions. I'm going to bring them up out of that land into a good and broad land flowing with milk and honey. God declares his intentions. When I was in middle school, our school sat on kind of a side street, and down the street there was a Casey's General store, and just behind it was a little um, kind of self-storage unit, not very big, maybe 10 or 15 units, not very big at all. And what would happen in middle school, if somebody got in a fight in the hallway, you would always want to take it to after school, so you wouldn't get in trouble at the school, right? So somebody would say, oh, you want to fight? Yeah, I want to fight. Okay, well, meet me behind Casey's, was the phrase we heard a lot. And then around school, you hear, there's going to be a fight behind Casey's. There's going to be a fight. There's going to be a fight behind Casey's. And it's literally like half a block away. And so every day, you hear the intentions. We're going to fight. I'm going to beat him up. He deserves this. And then the fight comes, and nobody shows up, right? You get to school the next day, and you're like, what happened? And everybody's like, nothing. Nothing happened. There was never a fight. When God declares his intentions, it's a promise. And what do we know about God's promises? He keeps them, right? When God declares his intentions, he keeps his promises. So God says, I'm gonna bring them up out of that land and take them to the promised land. God is ready to fight. He understands our situation and he's ready to fight. Verse nine. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be your sign that I have sent you. When I've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God reiterates, he hears the cries of his people, and he reiterates that I'm going to do something about it. And then he says to Moses, oh yeah, you're going to be the one I'm going to use to do it. Moses, I'm going to use you to do it. 80-year-old murderer 
I'm going to use you to do it. And Moses says, what? Who am I? Why would you use me? And God says, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. Continue on verse 13. Then Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the God, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I've observed you. And what's been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and into a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses says, God, you say you're going to be with me, but I'm going to show up to the, to the elders of Israel, to the, to the leaders of the Israelites, and I'm going to say, hey, guys, remember me? I was that guy that used to live in Pharaoh's house, and then I killed a guy, and then I ran away for 40 years. Oh, by the way, God said he's going to free y'all. What kind of clout does he have? None. He doesn't have any, any weight behind that statement. But instead, God says, walk into that room, make that declaration, and say... I am who I am, the God of your fathers, the God of generations before you sent me. And he's going to free you. He heard your cries. He understands your situation, and he's ready to fight. I am who I am. In the midst of Moses saying, but God, I'm not qualified, God says, but I am. In the midst of Moses saying, but God, I can't speak. We see that in the, later cha- in the next chapter. God, I don't speak very well. God says, but I do, and so does your brother, and I'm going to use him to help you. But God, I don't have any clout with these people, but I do, God says. Declare my name in that room. God uses unlikely tools to get his job done. Moses is a tool that does not fit in the tool belt of redeeming God's people out of Egypt. But God uses him anyway. God uses unlikely tools to get the job done. My, uh, my, my dad is a, is a hard worker, and, and my mom's here today, and she's like, he works too much. He's going to kill himself, she always says. He's a hard worker, and he'll come help me with anything that I've got going on at the house. And we'll be doing a project of some sort, and he'll say, well, do you have this specific tool? And I'll say, no. And he'll say, that's okay. What else do you have? What else do you have? And the tool that I love that my dad uses a lot is a reciprocating saw or a sawzall, right? A sawzall literally saws all things, right? It can do whatever you want. I've seen this man use it as a hammer, right? 
We have pried things loose with this giant sawzall. The one I have is like 45 years old. It gets hot when you use it. It's scary. There's sparks flying out of this thing, but it works, right? It's an unlikely tool for the job, and the job gets done. It's not the perfect thing. It's not always the thing that we need. I remember my brother, he, my father gave my brother who, who builds beautiful pieces of, of, of things out of wood, whether it's a table or whatever it might be. He's a woodworker and he is meticulous. My dad gave him a set of chisels. My brother takes these chisels and he sharpens them just right, gets them just perfect. And he's all proud of them. He puts them in the place where he's gonna he need them exactly at the moment when he needs a chisel, he knows where they're at. A month goes by and my dad's helping me with something and he says, do you have a chisel? And I said, yeah, but it's really dull. And dad goes, well, go get the Sawzall. (laughs) And we'll make it work, right? Sometimes the perfect tool that you need isn't what's gonna make things work. God uses unique people, unlikely tools to get his job done. When God understands the situation that we're in, he hears our cry and he puts people in place who don't make any sense around us to get the job done. God takes Moses, an unlikely murderer, and says, I'm gonna free your people. I'm gonna free your people through you. God uses unlikely tools to get the job done. Verse 18, God speaking again, and they will listen to your voice, Moses, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and your daughters. And so you shall plunder the Egyptians. God again lays out his intentions. Moses, when you go, Pharaoh's heart is gonna be hard. He's not gonna let you go. But I'm gonna lay him out with mighty signs and wonders. And when you go from that place, you're not just gonna walk out the door, you're gonna walk out the door victorious. Taken care of. The Egyptians aren't gonna know what hit them. Because when God is ready to fight, he fights. He doesn't forget to show up after school. He shows up and he wins. So God understands the situation of the Israelites. He says, I'm ready to fight and I'm going to use an unlikely tool, an unlikely tool to get the job done in Moses. 
And in the next chapter, we see Moses, him and ha, and kind of question God. Are you sure I should do this? God, is it really going to be me? What am I supposed to do? And God's like, I got this, Moses. All you got to do is go. And in chapter 5, Moses finally steps forward and says yes and heads to Israel or heads to Egypt, meets with the Israelites and goes before Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And what does Pharaoh do? He laughs in his face and says no. Exactly as God says. So in the coming weeks, in verse 20, it says, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. In the coming weeks, we will see God do this. So what's our response? What's our takeaway? What are, we, what are we supposed to do with this story? And, and the thing that kept coming to mind for me was, Adam, do you trust God to fight on your behalf? Do you trust God to fight on your behalf? And for me, the answer is, most of the time, no, I don't. Most of the time when trials or uncertainty or something that is uncomfortable comes in front of me, I try and fix things on my own. I try and get the right tool for the job and make it work. But in, usually it just fails. And God is saying to us today, are you in a situation that you're trying to fix on your own? Because if Exodus is a reflection of our own lives, God understands the situations we're in. He understands what it's like to lose a job. He understands what it's like to not know how to provide for your family financially. He understands what it looks like to have an addiction to something. He understands what it looks like to have a marriage that's falling apart. He understands your situation. And what God is saying to us is, do you trust me enough to let me handle it? Do you trust me to let me handle it? Because I can. I am who I am. I can handle this, God is saying. And in the midst of our own situations and our own struggle, we are trying to fix things on our own. And we're not groaning and crying out to God, desperate for something new, desperate for a change, desperate for something that's gonna bring us to a place of redemption. And God is saying, trust me, I got this. Whatever your situation might be. The thing is, is when we trust God to handle a situation, it might not get remedied the way that we think it should get remedied. It might not be this nice, neat little package that, oh, this is going to happen, and then step two is going to happen, step three is going to happen, and then all of a sudden, all our lives are going to be amazing again. That's usually not how God works. He uses unique and unlikely tools in our lives to bring us to a place of redemption, so we might have a game plan in our mind of this is how God is going to do things in my life and I'm just going to trust him to do things. But in our mind we're saying, but it's going to look like this. And God is saying, you're not trusting me. You're not trusting me if you already have a game plan laid out. You're not trusting me if you already know what the end goal is going to be. God is saying, trust me and let me use these tools 
these unlikely tools in your life that are going to change things. You see, when God uses the people around us who are broken and messed up, just like we are, just like Moses was, to bring redemption in our lives and the lives of people around us, God is glorified all the more than if God just said, here you go. Here's a handout. Here's something that's going to help you. If God just bestowed something upon us and we take it, it's not that great of a story. But if God, if you say, man, in the midst of my struggle, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my heartache, somebody, this unlikely person who did not qualify to help me in this situation at all, who didn't make any sense, came alongside me and said, hey, I hear you. I understand what you're going through. Let me walk with you in this. And then redemption happens in my life. And we both now get to tell the story of how God used Unlikely tools to bring redemption in the world around us. That is a much better story than God just saves the day. Danica's story of hearing something that broke her heart, that there is human trafficking, sex trafficking in our world, in our midst, in our city. And her heart is broken to it. And Danica, I know Danica, she's going to go knock down doors. Like I could see her just showing up at a motel, just like, bam, I got this, right? But that's not what God said. God said, slow down. Trust me. This movie is not going to play out the way you think it's going to play out. And he's going to bring unlikely tools into place so that this story will be even more victorious, will be even more glorifying to God than if we just went down knocking down doors. In our midst today, the question is, do we trust God to fight on our behalf? And the second question is this, who is God asking you to fight for? Who is God asking you to fight for? Whether it be somebody that you know, they have no relationship with God. They don't know who God is or what Jesus is all about or whatever their situation might be. Is God asking you to fight for them? Whether that's through prayer or having an intimate relationship with that person so that you can tell them about how amazing God is. Maybe it's somebody who's already a follower of Christ and they are just struggling They're just struggling, and God is saying to you, go walk alongside of that person. Lift them up so that they might know me more today. Maybe you're in this place, and your life is just flat, and you're like, I believe who Jesus is. I know what he's done for me. I've, I, I have faith in him. I trust him, but my life is just stagnant, and you're going, I need to fight for myself. I need to find an unlikely tool around me to come alongside of me and help me in my walk. I was, I was mowing the lawn yesterday, and I don't have a very nice lawn. I've got a lot of, like, dead grass patches. And, but one thing I hate are dandelions. My daughter loves them, um, which is a shame. But she picks up the white dandelions and blows them, and I'm just like, oh, no. <laughs> My yard, you know. And as I'm mowing and I'm seeing these patches of weeds as I'm mowing because I'm not that great at at making my lawn great, I was thinking about what it looks like to follow Jesus. How do we get rid of the weeds in our lives? 
And it's to bring alongside people around us who are good, who are good. And then year after year after year, there are less and less weeds in our lives. You see, we can put as many chemicals on our lawn as we want, and it will kill the dandelions right then and there, but they're going to come back next year. And the way that dandelions stop coming back is that your lawn gets thicker and thicker and thicker, and the good grasses choke out the weeds. It chokes out the weeds. And so as we're walking along in our spiritual lives, if we are feeling flat and the weeds of the world around us are encroaching upon us, what should we do? We should look for unlikely tools to come into our life, to build up the lawn of our life so that year after year after year those weeds get choked out. And what does that take from us? It takes trusting God more and more and more every day. So our response is, do we trust God to fight for us? And who are we fighting for? Whether it be somebody we know or for yourself, who are you fighting for? Are you desperate? Are you groaning? Are you crying out to God on behalf of yourself or on behalf of others? See, today in this place, I believe that God is saying to us, Stop trying to control everything and let me use my tools and my, the way that I'm going to structure things so that glory might be brought to my name and not yours. And God does that all of the time. And we see that ultimately in his son. You want to talk about an unlikely tool? an unlikely way to redeem the world, send your own son to earth to die? That is an unlikely story. God could have just said, redemption is found. But instead, he said, this is how I'm gonna do it because it's gonna bring, the story is gonna be so much better and it will bring more people to me. So today, the, the, the TPX team's gonna come back up and they're gonna lead us in worship the song we sang earlier, and it de- declares this, that I'm a child of God. You, I am who you say I am. And today in this place, I think a lot of us feel like we don't belong in God's family, that we might be crying out to God, we might be desperate, but God is not listening to us, and we don't belong in his family. And God is saying to us today, I am who I am. And because I am, you are my children. Because I am, you belong to me. Because I am above all things, you therefore belong to me. And in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our situations, God hears our cry and he's ready to fight. So do you trust him? And who are you fighting for? Let's pray together. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that you can speak to us through it. God, today I ask that you help us understand. Help us understand that we can trust you. 
and that when we trust you, it's not going to always look pretty. It's not going to look like the way we think things should work. But we need to trust you, God, because you hear us and you're ready to fight for us. So God, speak to us now through this song. Speak to us this week through these scriptures. God, speak to us. Change us and shape our hearts. And all God's people said, amen.